Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no uh, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anyone is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray one more time. God, we, uh, we thank you for gathering here. We pray that you would uh, teach us today, uh, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, challenge us, meet us, that you would open us to you being here, God. We are a church that wants to um, never do church without you. Um, we never want to do a church service without you here. And so, God, I pray that every single one of us would just be uh, sensitive to, to, to feeling or sensing anything God may be doing in them, um, anything that God may be saying to them, um, that we would be free to move about this place. Uh, with, uh, would you stir our imaginations for the hope that is to come, and may we embody um, in a concrete, tangible way, what will be. Um, make us a community, God, of your spirit. Make us a community open to you. Make us a community of love and generosity and humility and peace and nonviolence. Um, God, through Jesus Christ, do all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, so if you're new with us, uh, we are in uh, the wrapping up a series. We got this week and next week. Um, on uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, so if, if you're new to church, uh, the Holy Spirit is simply God's experienced presence um, or God's empowering presence. Um, and it's this, this moment that we, we, we've filled these moments where, where we've experienced God before many of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, where you this, the, some people call it the liminal space, right? This thin space where, where heaven and earth kiss, where heaven and earth meet. And um, we've been talking about what is it, who is this Holy Spirit? Uh, and in the last few weeks, we've been diving into kind of like what does the stuff of the Spirit do? What, is the, what does the Spirit do? Uh, so last week, we looked at like one of, uh, a little bit of the spiritual gifts. 
Um, and we looked at prophecy. Uh, next week, Bam's going to look at healing. But today, I kind of want to just broaden, jump back out like a thousand feet in the air and talk about what I think the Spirit does um, big picture. Uh, and so I want to kind of finish real quick. If I can like, break all preacher rules and just like finish something from last week's conversation and then move into this week's conversation, that'd be great. So I need, an, I need some volunteers. Maybe this whole front row. I don't know if you guys come up. So give it up for these, or anybody, you don't have to, but I don't put any pressure. Anybody else? All right, cool. So we talked about these spiritual gifts and um, that we all play a part in this church. Uh, and you guys can come up right here. Just stand, just look, look beautiful. You're already beautiful. Just stand right here. Um, so, um, okay. And then uh, let's see what we'll do here. I'm making this up on the fly a little bit. You, you, you come right over here. Okay, and then, um, so what happens, what I want to show you is that these spiritual gifts, they're meant for, like, for us to experience the intimacy of God. And then often in church, we kind of elevate certain people's gifts over the other, and we start to, like, forget that we're just a part. Like, we're just a part of what it means for someone to experience God. And so um, the body of Christ is made up of many gifts. And so um, uh, the Scripture uses a lot of them, but I'm just going to summarize a few. Um, so one of those gifts is, is hospitality. Um, hospitality, so your hospitality and then also one of those gifts is just being a shepherd, being a caretaker, being merciful. So you're going to be both of those. Um, so what I want you, this is someone new to the church or someone who's been here forever. doesn't really matter. It's just a human being who has a soul, just like all of us. <laughs> and so, um, so you're going to be that. And then uh, you, what I want you to do is in a minute, I want you to give her a hug and then just walk alongside her. All right. So that's going to be represented there. Peter, um, you're going to, uh, one of the other gifts is, is teaching. So uh, teaching... <laughs> You want to be teaching? All right. He doesn't like teaching. He, he's already elevating his gift over teaching. You see? It's easy. <laughs> all right. So you're a teacher, all right? Because you have to be humble if you're a leader. And so, um, you, so I want you just to look at the, the Bible and do this. This is teaching, all right? So boom, boom. It's a dance move. It's a dance move. And then, um, and then uh, one of those gifts is like serving. And so I just want you to pretend you have a towel. And, when, and, when, and I want you just to like rub her feet when you're coming to this, okay? And then, all right, so then you are going to be, um, you're going to be uh, these, these revelation gifts that we talked about, like prophecy. So you're going to be like the image of like receiving and giving, like just receiving and giving, receiving and giving. All right, cool. And then, and then you, there's these gifts of like apostolic, like now we're going to, like you're going to send her out to like go and do likewise. So you're just going to like grab her and like take her back to the chair and like sit with her, all right? So, so this is what it looks like. So this is the body of Christ. So you're coming over here, and then this is what love and Jesus, the spiritual gifts are just the spirit of character of Jesus expressed through the whole body so we can experience the love. Who doesn't want to be a part of this? All right, go ahead. So make it happen. All right, so there we go. Now you guys walk into the church together, all right? So take your time, enjoy it, <laughs> love it, learning, <laughs> awesome. So, thank you. Give you give you guys give him a hand. All right. That was that was like eight weeks of spiritual gifts wrapped up into five minutes. All right. So now we can move forward. I just needed that so I could feel better about myself. I didn't want to leave you hanging. Um. So who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to be a part of that kind of love? That kind of experience the encouragement of Jesus. And so that's what the Spirit does. Is he, the, the issue is, is we begin to get so uh, either deflated or inflated um, that we forget the picture, if we go to the slide, that the, the, the church is a container. The church is a container in which the Spirit of God dwells. 
And when we are made up of all these little people, right, we're this container, go to the next slide, Um, it says in Ephesians that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so as the collective church, um, we are filled with God's presence. And it's very important to know where we're going as a community, as a people, as a a people of God. And if you get the end wrong, you're going to get the here wrong. A lot of times we think the end of heaven is just, well, good. if you're good, you'll go to heaven. That's our story. That's our narrative. But if that's your narrative, all you're going to be filled with is, 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 is trying to muster up something in your own strength or do something in your own power, or, or you're going to be deflated and feel guilty and blame yourself. Um, but the end says that, that heaven is going to come to earth and make all things new. And if that's the end, if the end is going to be a people of God seeing Jesus face to face, um, this sense of intimacy, and that we're going to be serving God fully, unrestrained, and that we're going to be the image of Jesus, that all of us will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. If that's the end, what we do now as a church is the Spirit fills us into that maturity now. And so what's happening now as a church, if you go to the next slide, is we have that. So what the Spirit does, the stuff the Spirit does is it gives us those gifts that we'll one day be using fully serving Jesus. Every single one of us will be full serving Jesus in the end, except me. There will be no preacher. There'll be no evangelist. There'll be no, we'll all be making gardens unto the Lord and, and, and worshiping unto the Lord and having communion unto the Lord and all those things, um, but, but there'll be no need for that. Uh, we'll all be face-to-face with God, and we'll all be transformed into the very image of Jesus. And so what the Spirit is doing now is he's doing this, go to the next slide, until we, in the end, one day, we'll have the eventual full maturation. Does that make sense? So that's what God's doing. Now, how many of us have entered into a church service and just had, we've just lost in God's presence, just completely lost in God's presence? It's a wonderful thing. And you went from pinnacle, and then within record time, within three minutes, you walked into the parking lot and were angry and gossiping, and you're just like, how did I get here? I just was in God's presence in this moment of pinnacle moment with God, which is a wonderful thing. And then within three minutes, your, your kids are like screaming at each other, and you're like, you just rear back and let them have it. You're like, how did I just, and you're like, I'm just so unspiritual. Like, I just had that, and now from pinnacle to pit. Have any of you ever been there? Okay, quit lying to yourself. Like, let's all just be honest. We've all been there. We've all moved from this place where we feel like we are in this pinnacle moment of worshiping God to the pit. And what the Spirit does is, yes, those times, our meetings are great. These times of pinnacle moments are great. What the Spirit does also is it transforms us into the image of Jesus slowly but surely. That it doesn't always matter how high you jump. It matters how straight you walk when you land. That in, in the meetings and the things that happen here are amazing, and there's these breakthrough moments, but what it, ha- what it means to be spiritual is what Paul says here. He says, I want you to see what it means to be spiritual, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So he says this phrase, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this phrase has left theologians and commentaries and everyone very confused for a very, very long time. Why does he equate getting drunk with wine with filled with the Spirit? Is it, the, is it because the effects of getting drunk are synonymous to the effects of the Spirit? Is he just simply choosing one of the vices that you read? Anybody else feel uncomfortable listing the, the list of sins and vices that we like so don't want to talk about those? And um, So I want to talk about those a little bit. Um, but I want... 
because I, I want you to see something, I just, I'm going to get a little, te- it's a little, little bit of something for everybody. I'm going to get a little teachy first, and then we're going we're gonna to move on. But I just want to show you the context of what's happening that's so enlightening. Um, what's happening in this passage is we saw that list of vices, right, this list of sins, um, these con- this conduct to avoid. And what he's saying is, like, when you're filled with the Spirit, in the context, Ephesians 4, he just talked about the unity of the Spirit, that you are one faith, one baptism, one Jesus, one lordship. You're being fully mature into this picture. But then there's this cultural influence around you that many of you, as the church, you've been influenced more by the empire than you are influenced by the Spirit. You've been influenced more by your very own ego than you are by the Spirit. And so, what I think Paul, I've been doing some reading, and I've just been blown my mind seeing some stuff that um, I think Paul had uh, in the background of this, this list of vices, um, these, these Greco-Roman symposium drinking parties. All right, so hey, let me just give you a little context here and just nerd out on you a little bit. Um, there was these Roman, uh, Greco-Roman symposium drinking parties. Um, you can go to the next slide. We can get some images here of these. Uh, you can't really see it, but um, there would be these couches, there would be uh, servants, these slaves, there would be, uh, it would be a men-only invite um, in which they would gather around to talk about philosophy, they would have a huge feast, they had a very deep intellectual conversation, um, they would have slaves come over and serve them, they would have a special guest list in which they would write that list in wax, and then they would do something to reveal it, and then the slave would go over and then get these people. So you would be in the Aragopagus, and you could get invited to one of these things, and it was just like the most elite party, all right? They loved to party, all right? Greeks loved to party. Um, one of the phrases um, that was often said, a popular Greek saying is, I hate a drinker who, with a good memory. Basically, like suggesting that whatever was said or done at these parties uh, was not to be held against them once they're sobered up. And so that was just a popular phrase, like, I hate a drinker with a good memory. And so um, what was happening at these parties is you would have men only invited to these things. Um, then you would have female servants, female slaves that would come over. Um, and there would be, uh, once things got very out of hand, um, there would be a lot of activity. Just look up Greco-Roman symposium pottery, and you can just look for yourself, all right? Not appropriate for this conversation here. Um, so, nothing like, you get what I'm saying. All right, let me just give you a quote. This is from Quintilian, one of the Greeks in an orator education that he um, begins to write about these symposium parties. So he says, it says this, um, he, he said that there's these elite Romans have no right to be surprised at their kids' ferocious behavior, he says, because we've, they've learned it from their parents. He says this, it was we that taught them. They heard it all from us. They see our mistresses, our boy lovers. Every dinner party echoes with obscene songs. Things are to, are, are to be which are too shameful to name. Now, did you, did you hear that in Paul's language? He says, there's things going on that were just too shameful to name. And Paul says that twice. And then he says, hence comes first habit, then nature. The wretched children learn these things before they know they're wrong. And so what, what he does is he lists this long list of behaviors, and all of the behaviors, um, there's some problems with this list. Because some of the, he mentions drunkenness randomly, we don't know why. Then he mentions in the list of bad things, wittiness. Which, wittiness in every other writing is a good thing. Like, it's a virtue. So, like, why would you throw wittiness in here? Um, so, let me just go through this list. He says, first of all, sexual immorality. Um, again, in these parties, there would have been um, people exploited, people objectified, um, people used. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read. I, there's some of the language in the writing makes uh, like an MA show on Netflix just blush 
um, reading this, so it just wasn't appropriate, but um, the things going on were just very inappropriate, very much objectifying, very uh, uh, a sense of using and exploiting people and their bodies. Um, impurity is a word used. Um, this was like a word for uh, anything that was not of beauty. It, was a, it had a reference to disordered sexual behavior. And then third, there's greed. Um, greed and sense of like ex- excess. This whole thing was all about, uh, the, the, these vices are all vices of excess. We're people who want more. More, 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 more. And, and, and all that is good because that more is meant to be pointed towards God, towards things. That is a good desire to have more. But these, these, these fulfilling of excess became these vices where we hurt and do violence to one another. Um, and then uh, there was foolish talk, uh, which was foul language. Um, and then lastly, um, the word there for like coarse joking, which if you've ever like been a Christian along church, you're like, why is cussing wrong? And you always go to this verse, well, it says no coarse joking. And you're like, is that really what it means? Is it really cursing to have that? No. What, that word is, is baffled everyone. It's the word wittiness. Um, and it's like, why is it in here? It's been very hard to translate. Um, and so uh, it's never considered a vice, like I mentioned, but a desirable trait. So why would he put this in here? The reason, what I've, what I've in my research seeing this is crazy. Um, there was like, like, for example, in fourth century, there was a king who would have these symposiums and get everybody drunk, and then they would be loose of their mouth, and then they would say and reveal things politically, and that, that way he would know whose political enemies were. And it says that he would then invite them back to his palace the next day and have them killed. So he would use his wittiness to get them to be loosened. And to, so the, really the issue that what Paul's trying to get at is manipulation. We call it strategy. But like what Paul is saying is like stop relating to one another, manipulating each other. Like stop using kindness when it's really just sentimentality and you're just using it as kindness as a way to like manipulate and get what you want. And so, so he, he's saying that this was what was happening here and then drunkenness um, because it, uh, it, he, we all know that like scripture teaches that, all, that alcohol in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, that has been, all of these are done in moderation. Um, there was actually, this was not just a random party. There was rules written on how to do these parties. And it was like, hey, light drinking is great, but don't get too drunk. And so even the culture had ways that they did this right and ways they did this wrong. Is it, um, so th- I just want to show you the context because this is mind-blowing what happens and what Paul does next. So remember, these were happening in wealthy Greco-Roman homes, these parties. And so what Paul does is says, don't be filled with the world. Don't be filled with empire. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on, all of this, we, we treat Bible verses and we chunk them up into little verses. This is one letter. And so everything else is just this amazing manifest of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He goes on with like five phrases of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He's like, talk to one another with songs and spiritual songs. He says, sing and make melody with the, to the Lord. He says, be grateful for everything unto the Lord. And then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes into the famous household code. So what he's saying is, is um, this is the way the culture does household. Now this is the way when you're filled with spirit does household. Okay, so now this is, it gets even crazier. So you got the context, right? Are you guys with me? All right, so now he says, now, now there was these popular household codes that everybody would have known. It's kind of like when Jesus said, hey, you've heard it said, don't a tooth, eye for a tooth, but I say this, don't hate a brother in your heart. Paul's doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, you've heard it said, wives submit to your husbands, because that's the Greco-Roman rule. That word submission, we'll get into that in a minute. That's like a a very abused word. 
He says, you've heard it said this, but I say, wives, submit to the, to, unto the Lord, to your husbands, and not even that. I'm going one further. None of these laws in Greco-Roman world, world said anything to the men or to the slave masters or to the parents of their obligations. He says, husbands, you need to love your own wife. You need to love your, cherish her like Christ loved the church, not these Roman symposium parties. Wives, you need to be subject to your own husband. The emphasis is on your own. And so he's saying, like, this is the way of the world, but this is the way of Jesus. This is the countercultural work of the spirit of these new households. Then he says, hey, all these obligations were given to kids. He says, parents, don't exasperate your children. And then all the obligations and culture were to the slaves. Here's how you should obey your master. He says, masters, love these slaves as if they're yourself. Radical stuff. Now, you got to remember, these household codes were written into the Pax Romana so that they were to be implemented because they believed that the smallest of society is where things really happened and went outward. So we had to legislate all this, and if you were to go against that Pax Romana, you would have been killed immediately. What is Paul doing? He's being so subtly subversive and saying, you know what, I can't just flat out say slavery is wrong, all these things are wrong, but I'm going to start flipping it on its head and doing things the way of Jesus, where we love each other with humility and honor. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so that, that's my little soapbox on this big passage, right? So now what I want to do as I want to get into, he says, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? He said there's a few things, and it's really three things. So instead of these obscure ways of speaking, I want you to have thanksgiving. Instead of using your bodies this way, like we have this negative view of our bodies, even within evangelicalism, where we paint this horrible thing of our bodies, we over, and then we don't ever have an alternative with our bodies. And I mean, there's a whole other sermon here, but I do think that there's something about worship that involves our bodies that begins to have some kind of sensual, not sexual, but sensual sense of like positive body language, body posture, body practice. And it goes way deeper than that, and that's a whole other message. But there's something there that I think Paul's saying is like, don't use your bodies like this. Use it to make melody in your heart and worship with, to me. And then then he begins to think through this this manipulation and relationships. He goes, actually, I want you to mutually submit to one another. You see that? So what he's doing here is it goes next. So here there's three things. He says, under the influence of the Spirit, no longer under the influence of the empire, church, under the influence of the Spirit, you're to have genuine worship. You're You're to have constant gratitude, and then you're to have harmonious relationships. That's what it, when you are filled, when the church is filled with the Spirit, these are the three characteristics. And so um, I just want to kind of go through these actually in reverse um, order. So number one, um, you guys hanging with me? I know this is a lot. You good? All right. Um, So first thing I want to talk about is just the harmonious relationships. He says, submit to one another as unto the Lord. Now, Relationships are hard. <laughs> they're draining. They're tiring. They're exhausting. When, when are we going to finally like, get along? When is this going to constantly? We just feels like we're always working on these relationships, right? Um, and, and I just want to say the, out front that that's like all of us. Um, but I want to just, just try to plant, I don't have time to do it all, but I want to plant some seeds in your heart um, of what I think Paul's doing here. Um, mutually submitting to one another. This is huge. Because um, when we th- he's talking about a way a body life can mature and help. 
And when I think a lot of us think about maturing, we, we, we take the way of empire, which says focus on your good qualities and focus on your potential and go after all that. Because we don't want to do the hard work of addressing the maturity gaps in our own life. And when you mutually submit to one another, you've got to begin to work on the maturity gaps. And I think for a lot of us, if we don't feel happy, it's easy to think that there's others standing in our way causing our unhappiness. That like if I'm not happy, it's because someone out there is, is standing in my way. And it's all too easy to believe that if we can get people to change, if I can just get them to change, then I'll be happy, right? Or, or if, if, I can, if I can avoid difficult people, <laughs> then I can be free to reach my potential. But many have discovered, and I've discovered, this path of inflating self at the expense of others will not deliver sustainable satisfaction. That when we inflate ourselves, that's what was happening at the extreme. There was exploitation, objectification, manipulation, ways of control, ways of subtly trying to have the upper hand, having what we want. Right, like that's what I mean. We're all like just big kids. Like I was, I took my son to a play area, and he's just like, you know, kids just only see their needs, and they don't even know that hey, there's other people. You know, you got to share. There's other people that have needs, and they just want to avoid the the most the most difficult path. Don't do that. Just do, just get my needs. And we're really just learning adult ways, polite ways to try to get our needs. And we forget, hey, other people, we, it's, it, the harm, mutual submission is we've got to stay mutually connected to one another. Um, so either we become, what happens is each time a new challenge is confronted, the formula of trying to change or blame others is applied. So we, we, are, we end up, our culture is constantly criticizing, constantly blaming. I mean, you just look online, like I'm just tired of that. I was just thinking with Lent, like many of us fasting, which is all good. I was like, what if I fasted from blaming? not just other people, myself. What if I fasted from blaming myself and blaming other people? What would happen to my life? Like, what would happen to my joy if I just no longer going to come fasted from complaining about things, fasted from blaming other people or blaming myself? And so um, we become resentful of others not improving in response to our efforts to improve, or we discard people who disappoint us in the same vein. And um, each time a new challenge is confronted, the formula of trying to change or blame other people is applied. It's just this continual cycle of disappointment. So we either become resentful of others not improving in response to our efforts to help them, or we discard people who disappoint us in the same vein. And so um, there's also another thing I want to say. So we're t- there's, in- there's, there's this constantly within character, this maturation is two spectrums. There's, there's defect and there's excess. And what Maturity of the spirit is learning to live in the middle. It, none, some of you are not inflating yourself. Like, you're, you're living in defect. You're, like, blaming yourself. You're belittling yourself. You feel like you don't have a voice. For you, you need to, that's what the mutual submission is about. It's like, you need to learn to have a voice and to speak up because you're so wanting to please everyone else. Like, you have a voice. Like, you want to be heard. You are valued. Um, in our society, culture, women, you are valued. You are valued here. You, you, you even want, to, as I say that, you want to like put your head down because you just feel so much shame from our culture. Like you, you are affirmed. You are valued. You are loved. You are, you are beautiful and made wonderful. Our society has put so much on the spectrum that, that in that sense, have been deflated. 
And so there's this, that, that's just one small issue. The issue is, is where are we inflated, where are we deflated, and then how do we begin to mutually submit to one another? Does this make sense? Really hard stuff. Now, we're going to fail, all right? So don't walk out and be like, oh, gosh, I'll do that. You're going to make mistakes. But we are gracious with one another. We are a church of thanksgiving. We are a people that are gracious as Jesus was gracious with us. So harmonious relationships, two, constant gratitude. Man, that's tough. Um, constantly gratitude, that is not cool in Chicago. We are a, what I call a north side sophistication. And that means that we, um, we've got our food we like, we got our clothes we like, and there's a little bit of pretension there, to be honest. And being grateful doesn't go with pretension. <laughs> and so Paul says, hey, instead of the speech of manipulation and focusing in on the problems, like, be grateful. Um, I mentioned this, uh, our leadership retreat, that, like, the human being is made to notice problems, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever walked down the street in Chicago and, like, you see a squirrel, like, everywhere, right? Like, a squirrel! Like, you know, you just kind of, like, there's a squirrel in a bush, and you notice it. Um, that's because, um, back in caveman days, that was a saber-toothed tiger. Um, a saber-toothed tiger was about to eat you, and you're made to see a problem and be like, ah, oh, I, I, that was very helpful to notice problems. It's good for our survival. It's great for survival, but it's not good for spirituality. I mean, what our spirituality is, we, we, we notice problems everywhere, and then we never pause to just be in God's presence and be grateful. The contemplative caveman just didn't make it. They didn't survive. Like, they died. They were just like, oh, God, yes, your presence. Oh, saber tooth tiger, dead. <laughs> but today, we have different problems, so we can do this. Um, and so, like, we're meant to be in this gratitude. Say, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? Like, the other day I was grateful that, like, my son gave me a kiss with Cheetos all over his mouth. Like, what is the smallest thing that you are grateful for every day? These little things, these little moments, they add up that we would have this sense of gratitude for one another, guys. This is the work of the Spirit that only He can do, Amen. And then lastly is genuine worship. So he says, address one another in songs and, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. And I want to press into this a little bit more of this north side sophistication that gets in the way of genuine worship. We kind of live in a sense where casual is cool, the subconscious idea we still live in the social self that was created by the man James Dean. James Dean said this, that cool means consider everything but be moved by nothing. Right? That's the kind of way we, we, we function. We're at a party. We're, you know, we're attending the party. Cool. Like, hey, tell me who you are. But not at a level that's too intense. Just not too emotional. Just kind of cool. Okay, cool. And we, it creates with us this dislike of enthusiasm. We, we, we feel like that in this dislike of enthusiasm begins to get into our spirituality. That you are a spiritual person. And, 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 and we kind of, you know, you're like, hey, tell me about you as a Christian. Well, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. We're like, that's cool. Someone's like, I'm, I love Jesus with all my heart. You're like, whoa, get away from me. You're a little crazy. Like, I've heard about people like you. That's what we think. And so um, we've got to develop this, like, positive theology of the body. And this positive theology of the body is, has something to do with worship. And, and so there's two reasons why. Um, one, we don't have that positive theology of the body. Number two is we just don't want to be that way. We, we, we don't want to be intentionally formed but yet we're being intentionally formed all the time by our culture. 
like the other day I was listening to some worship music on Spotify and I was just like having those moments where I was really feeling just meeting with God, right? And then like an advertisement came on. I was like, how was this like, how the world we, this is like the irony, the irony that like advertisement is like basically the cultural thing that's like, we're constantly being told we need more. We need excess. You need more. That's what's forming us. What's forming us is this desire for more, this constant need to consume, this constant need to, to have the better gadget, the better thing. And God's like, you were meant to consume my presence. You were meant to worship. Um, so I just want to go through, I did a sermon, um, it's maybe still on the podcast, but years ago, and we went through these Hebrew words for worship. I just want to briefly go through them. In, in Hebrew, there's all these different words for worship, and they mean a couple different things. Um, so some of the expressions is barak. In Hebrew, is barak. It's to, to prepare, to come expectant, to anticipate. It's like, how many of you came in here like, this is like the, the overflow of your week. You're like, I've been worshiping all week long, and now I'm coming expecting just to pour out everything that's happened throughout the week. Or how many of you come in, like, empty and just like, I just need my God time so I can just go back in the world and then, like, get empty again and come back? And then... Or how many of us come in and be like, man, I'm just so expectant, expectant for God to move and anticipate. It also means to, like, to kneel down, to bow down. The word yada, to know intimately, to extend the hand in worship. Now, I think there's, there, we're going to talk about some of these worship expressions. Um, there's also like, I've been, you know, I want to say this, that I acknowledge the fact that like everybody's wired differently. Um, we all have different personalities, but I just want to say this, praise is not a personality type. Pray, I, I've seen us at the Cubs games. <laughs> I've seen when the Cubs, I was at... Wrigley Field, when the Cubs won the World Series, I saw people taking down the Taco Bell sign. Like, it was just go boom. Like, we're just going crazy. Everyone's going nuts. Like, that's the, the last one. Shabak, to address, address in a loud tone, to glorify, to shout. Right? We've seen these cultural expressions of worship that are beyond personality. At the same time, I do think that there's, it needs to be genuine. There's not this sense where we just come in like, oh, E minor chord. Oh, yes, Lord. E minor chord. You're kind of like, why is it this person just automatically, like, they just walked in and it's like, oh, you know. But it's not for us to judge. That's where they're at, right? They may have been spending time with the Lord all week and they're just filled up already. So it's not for us. But at the same time, it needs to be genuine. So I totally digress. Sorry. Shabbat, to address in a loud tone. Hallel, to shine, to boast, to act foolishly. Matt, David said that I, I, I act foolish before the Lord. Um, and then this is last, uh, tilda, I believe, is a word for, for Missio Dei. Um, it's this word that in adoration or agreement of what God has done or will do. So it is uh, the tradition that gets this right. Yeah, you can pull up the, the audio clip. I want to sh- let, let you hear the, the best expression of Telda I've ever heard. Um, it's a speech. It's Martin Luther King's um, last speech he gave. Can you play that? We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity, 
place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. get to the promised land, but I've seen it. I've seen it. And I, and I love just, we, we must learn from the African-American church, the spirituals of there's a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's a balm in Gilead to cure the sin-sick soul. Um, how am I supposed to praise God in the midst of my circumstances, of my actual life? How am I supposed to worship you right now? Tell Daz the fact that, God, I'm in agreement of what you will do. You have promised this to be true, and all of your promises are yes and amen. And I am in agreement with what will happen, even though right here I am today. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't think it. I don't, but except I will still sing in worship, because throughout all the grief, I lift my hands in response and anticipation, because the goodness of God weighs more than on the hardship of my life. This is Tilda, and I pray that we would do this today. Um, the last one, Tehila. To praise a song of praise, a new song, an unrehearsed song, a spontaneous song from your heart. So this means um, that you would just you, you you would sing this sense of um, like song that you make up, right? Many of you may do this in the shower. You may do this at home. You would do this like for me. It's like I was lost in Alabama, but you got me out of the muck and mire clay, right? It's like you know I'm just making up stuff, but it's like a song that's personal to you. All right, sorry, I, this is not rehearsed. Um, so, uh, like, it's this song that's, like, personal to you, that's your circumstance, your issue, your things going on, but it is a spontaneous song to the Lord. And so all of this is common, but we still don't want to. And so, one, we object often, well, that's not my personality. Um, two, we may feel like this is uncomfortable. Um, like, the number one factor in public worship is not the song selection. It has nothing to do with the song selection. It's you've been personally drinking from the Holy Spirit in your private life. And, and then you've come into this place and we experience this. And then some of us are like, well, I'm just afraid what people will think if I express what I really want. The Holy Spirit makes us people that like we're free, completely free. We don't have to care what other people think because we are in a place of mutual submission and love harmonious relationships without judgment because our God is a God of no judgment for in him there is no condemnation, no judgment. It is completely not of God. And so suddenly we now are just this free to people that God is, the kind of church we want to be people is the people that say God has really been among us. And the problem with the church, you know the biggest problem of seeing the power of God today? You know the biggest obstacle? is the church. 
we are the biggest obstacle seeing God's power displayed. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let everyone come, let them bring a song, a hymn, a word. Like, we should be participants. This is not a spectator thing. This is not a thing where, like, you hear me talk and hear someone play some music and you watch, and it's not a spectator thing. This is a place where we participate and we love, and that's what we're going to do Wednesday night. It's going to be a time of participation, a time of just joining in, not spectating. And so far too often, the thing with Christianity, the problem with Christianity today is Christ has left so much of what we call Christianity today. Revelation 3 says this. He's talking to a church. He says, I stand at the door and knock. (laughs) You see the picture? This is church worshiping and gathering, singing, taking communion, and Jesus is like, I'm at the glass doors. You locked me out. I'm not in here. Like, can I come in? Like, we can't do church without God. We can't worship without God. We must have him here, amen? Make room for him, that he would do things that are not the obvious, things that we can't control. And so, yeah, like, you have a word for someone or something, like, you, this is a place to be free, to transform this museum into a playground for God's kingdom. That we would be free to worship, free to love, free to be genuine in relationship, free to be constantly in thanksgiving. This is the way a community is supposed to be.